Good morning. I know you're smiling behind those masks. I know you are. Thank you, Orlando and Dave and Robbie and Evan and uh, uh, the whole team here and all the, the family here. Glad that you are with us. If you're a guest of ours, we're honored to have you with us. If you're watching online for the first time or the 64th time, we're honored to have you online as well. I feel like I need to get Evan to come back up here and help me um, to tell a joke this morning. You guys that are online, you didn't hear that, but she told a, a pretty funny joke. It was a dad joke, though, so I need to actually give your dad some props there. But Robbie, we're waiting for the countdown, and Robbie said, do you know a good joke? And I'm thinking, wait, that's a prerequisite? <laughs> the criteria is it has to be a good joke, but... I'm going to start with a joke you've probably heard. It's not as good as Evans, but it kind of leads into where we're going this morning. Um, a woman had a husband who was away at work uh, for the weekend, and she called him in the evening in a panic. She said, there's a skunk in the basement, and I have no idea how to get him out. And her husband said, calm down. Here's what you do. Get some breadcrumbs. Make a trail from the basement, up the basement steps, out through the kitchen, out the back door. An hour later, she calls her husband back. He said, did you do what I told you to do? Yes, I did. Are the breadcrumbs all gone? Yes, they are. Is the skunk out of the basement? No, he's not. Now there's two skunks in the basement. <laughs> yeah. We are spending a couple of weeks here looking at specific words, words that I think are pretty important as we think and talk about uh, living our lives closer to the will of God. And as you notice, I've tightened my focus a little bit this morning, because this morning I want to look at the word obey, and come on, that should be right in our wheelhouse, right? I mean... We love to talk about the word obey. We love to talk about obedience. And the reason we love to talk about it so much is because God talked about it so much. And Jesus talked about it so much. And yet it's my experience, both just in observation and also personally, that there's this huge gap between talking about it and understanding it, knowing about it, and actually living with this word obey. And we don't like to admit it, but too often we're, we're kind of like the woman whose husband gave her advice about the skunk. We kind of have in the back of our minds, if we really do what he says, it might make things worse. It might make our life more difficult. It might be more uncomfortable. Because the things that we're called to, to obey by God, sometimes we look at it and say, wow, that's, that's going to be uncomfortable. That, that doesn't even really make a whole lot of sense to me. I think I can come up with a, a better alternative here. Some of the things that we're called to, to obey God in, it seems very countercultural. In fact, it, it almost seems wrong. And the truth is, we have here, especially recently, we've been kind of programmed to have almost a negative uh, feeling about the word obey, obedience. You know, it's kind of gotten to be uh, out, of, uh, uh, out of popularity for a while, uh, even within the church. 
Now, sometimes we kind of avoid kind of stressing that word obey because we don't want to be seen as something that's, that's a work-based uh, deal. And maybe you came from a, a background where you were always taught and led to believe that it kind of the harder you worked and the better your actions were and, and everything was kind of performance-based. And if you could do enough stuff, then you could work your way into heaven. It's as if God had a big chalkboard up there in the sky and he has your name on it and every time you do something good, he makes a list of it and every time you do something bad, he makes a list of it. And as long as my good list is longer than my bad list, you know, me and God, we're okay. The problem with that is if I could do enough good things to earn my way to heaven, Jesus never would have had to come and die on a cross. We can't earn our way to heaven. So, you know, we might kind of shy away from thinking, we don't want to go to that biblical extreme, and we don't want to put more emphasis on what I do than what Jesus has done. And then there's other people that kind of shy away from the word obey because, well, it just kind of reinforces the idea that I'm not in charge. And I like to be in charge. But obey is a servant word. It's not a master word. And when I think about obedience, I'm reminded, I'm not calling the shots. I'm not the one who's ultimately in charge of my life. And then another thing is, you know, if we're just being honest, this idea of obedience, it's not attractive to the world. You know, we're trying to invite people along with us, right? We're trying to, to, to attract people to come, you know, join us in this thing. But then we start talking about accountability and obedience and sacrifice. Now, those ideas, they're, they're, they're tough to a lot of people. But if our teaching doesn't confront sin... And if our community doesn't call people to live a life of a higher standard, if we don't feel convicted to be more and more like Jesus, then you can call this thing a club. You can call this time a, uh, a, a counseling session, but don't call it a church. If we aren't challenging each other, to live a life of obedience to God, then we really have very few things in common with the church that Jesus came to establish. There's a parable that's found in Matthew chapter 21. It's a parable that we don't talk about a whole lot. It's, it's a pretty short parable. Uh, Jesus is trying to encourage the religious leaders to see things from a different perspective. His audience is the teachers of the law, the religious leaders. He's just cleansed the temple, so he's made a definitive statement about his authority. And then he's going to tell this group of religious leaders a story. Um, Matthew chapter 21, verse 28. There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did what the father wanted? The first, they answered. 
That's the story. That's the parable. Jesus is about to give the explanation. They're not going to like the explanation. You might not like it either. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. The tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. Remember who his audience is. His audience is the spiritual people. His audience are all those those people who tell other people how to get closer to God. Tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John, he's talking about John the Baptist. John came to show you the way of righteousness. And you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. Jesus is not being subtle in this story. The religious leaders, the the, the teachers of the law, he identifies them as the second son in the parable. That son who said, yes, sir, I will go. I will obey you. But then never did. Never followed through. They, they followed the master in what they said, not in what they did. And he's certainly not pulling any punches with this story. This is a scathing rebuke against the religious leaders of that day. You know, the second son, when his father tells him to go, he's very polite. Did you notice that? Yes, sir. I will. Sounds great. He sounds sincere. He is certainly saying all of the right things, but he doesn't go. Courtesy is not a substitute for commitment. And saying the right thing isn't a substitute for doing the right thing. And talking about it certainly isn't a substitute for living it. And Jesus makes it clear. I would prefer you say no and then change your mind and do it than to say all the right things, say yes, and then never follow through with that commitment. You notice, Jesus said the first son changed his mind, worked in the vineyard. He obeyed the Father. I was going over this passage, uh, and in my Bible, my favorite Bible, I have a quote written in the margin of this story. And I'd forgotten about it. I have no idea who said it or where it came from. If you recognize it, if maybe one of you said it in a class or something, let me know. I will give you credit. But I thought, I'm going to share that because that's a good quote. Here's what's written in the margin of my Bible. God is a lot more concerned about people who fake it than he is about people who blow it. I thought, that's pretty convicting. You know, God seems to have a tremendous amount of patience with people who just kind of blow it, but he doesn't have nearly as much patience with people who are trying to fake it, trying to look like something that they're not. This word obey, it is a really important word to God. It should be a really important word to us as well. So with the backdrop of that parable kind of fresh in our minds, I want to share with you three very simple, easy-to-understand blessings that come through obedience and come with obedience. But again, these three things, they're, they're, they're pretty significant. Benefit number one, obedience empowers your witness for Jesus. 
No, we're never going to do it perfectly. Sin, temptation, they're, they're constantly wreaking havoc on our lives. But the more we obey, the more we allow God to transform our lives and our hearts to the, His will, the more attractive we become to the people that we interact with. The better we make God look, the more we can brag on Jesus, not just in our words, but in our lives. People notice that. You know the number one problem that most people have with Christians, and it's a legitimate problem, by the way, you Christians, you're all a bunch of hypocrites. That's right. You've heard that, yes? Yeah. And most people are pretty quick to point out where we are hypocritical. And a lot of times they are spot on. But obedience is sort of the antidote for hypocrisy. When we can live what we say, it's hard to argue against that. You know, even Jesus, especially Jesus, he had to deal with this. You know, God called him to obey the Father. And there were times when Jesus said, hmm, I might come up with a different way. Uh, I've got some hesitation here. You say, wait a minute, when did that ever happen? You know, think about the garden. Uh, Luke chapter 22. Jesus very famously prays, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Jesus understood, I've got to take myself out of the equation here because I want to obey the Father. And Jesus knew this at a very early age. You know, the only passage that we have in Scripture that talks about Jesus as a, a young boy is found in Luke chapter 2. Then he, Jesus, went down to Nazareth with them, his parents, Joseph and Mary, and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature in favor with God and men. And just a month or two ago, we spent some time in the book of Philippians. Paul talks about Jesus' obedience in Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus took himself out of the equation. Jesus humbled himself and became obedient. Jesus' obedience in life and death was a tremendous witness to who the Father was. Tremendous witness to who He was as well. That's why He's the perfect example for us to follow and to obey. And then, of course, James very famously writes in James chapter 1, Do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the Word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. We all look in mirrors, don't we? Some of us look in mirrors less than others of you, by the way. Not a lot going on here. <laughs> Doesn't change much. Every hair always in place. But we still look in mirrors, right? And when we look in a mirror, we see something that might need addressed, and we address it. I am sure many of you looked in a mirror before you got out of your car this morning. 
You know, check yourself out in the rearview mirror or pulled that little mirror down on the visor and, and took a look at yourself before you even got out of the car. Obviously, some of you did not do that this morning. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But we all look at mirrors, right? A week ago, I, I hung a mirror right in the entryway of our house. And one of the reasons was, so now when we go out the door, we can get a quick look, you know? And if something's wrong, if something needs addressed, we can, you know, we can address it. And there are times we take a quick look, but then sometimes we look intently at a mirror, right? We say, okay, there's some issues here. And then we go to work on making some adjustments. Mark made the comment today in our class. You know, Jesus should be our mirror. We should be looking intently into the life of Jesus and then make adjustments when the life that we're living doesn't exactly line up with the life that he's called us to live. And we need to address that. And we need to make some changes. And again, not because we're going to get it perfect, but because we're going to allow the Spirit of God to change us, to work in our lives to transform us into something that we're not quite there yet. You know, God really does want the best for us. And sometimes the things that he's calling us to, to obey him in are so, like I said, so counterintuitive to our own way of thinking. Some areas that God calls us to be obedient in, it's, it, they're, they're pretty hard to swallow even. But then when we make the decision to do what God has called us to do, it's pretty quickly evident, you know what? God really knows what he's talking about. This really is the best way. How we're called to love as Christians, it's counterintuitive. We think of love as this feeling that I fall into, and sometimes I kind of fall out of. But Paul talks about the fact that love always trusts and love always perseveres. And love never quits. Love is proactive. It's sacrificial. Our very Christian walk seems a little counterintuitive. We are called to die to ourselves. How many times do you hear that message from the world? Just die to yourself. <laughs> Not too often. But we die to ourselves so we can live for Jesus. Again, it kind of goes against common sense, doesn't it? But when you try it, you realize God really does know what he's doing. This is the life that I really always dreamed of living. This is it. The way we're called to be obedient with our money is counterintuitive. You know, Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Really? because I like to get stuff. But then, when we are generous, we start to realize, this is great. This brings me joy. You know, we're commanded to, to give of our means. How much? I don't know. I think anything less than 10% is not enough. Because I'm going to trust God to be able to stretch 90% of what I earn farther than I could stretch 100% of what I earn. And you talk to people who do it, and they will tell you, 
God is good. God has blessed me. God wants to lead us somewhere through our obedience. A better life. A more fulfilling life. A more blessed life. Life to the full. That's the life we want, isn't it? And we want life to the full. And when we obey God, people see that. People you know, will see a sermon long before they'll hear a sermon. People pay attention to what we do much more than what we say. And when we are obedient, we make God look good. And we make Jesus look good. Our obedience empowers our witness. And the next benefit really ties right into that. Obedience demonstrates our trust in God. Through our obedience, we are showing, I trust God to be faithful. I heard about a dad who was watching television with his uh, teenage daughter one night, and the show was about death and dying and the mystery of life. And the dad turned to his daughter and said, Honey, I want you to live every single day like it's your last day on the earth. And his daughter said, Yeah, I tried that once, Dad, and I got grounded for a week. No, you parents, you have a tough task. You are trying to teach your children to be obedient. Why? Because you want what's best for them. Not obedience for obedience sake. You love them. And you want what's best for them. And it doesn't always make sense to them what you're asking them to do or to not do. But you know this is going to lead to your best life. And you model that, and then they learn to model that with, the, with God as well. So when they stumble, when they make mistakes, and when they disappoint you, when they disappoint God, they know how to repent. They know how to work through that. They know how to get back to that relationship. Sometimes what God asks us to do it doesn't seem like it makes much sense in the moment. But God loves me. And God knows a lot more about what's best for me than I know about what's best for myself. With time and with context, we learn through obedience that God is faithful. A uh, great example of this in, in the New Testament. Uh, Dave mentioned that in the class Wednesday night, we brushed up against, uh, in fact, we stayed in Luke chapter 5. I'm going to brush up against it this morning. Luke chapter 5, Jesus is on a boat with Peter. It's on the Sea of Galilee, and Luke says this. He, Jesus, got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, Simon Peter, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Jesus is dealing with a, a crowd of people, so much so that he's having a hard time being heard, so he he makes this like, uh, has this idea of getting in Peter's boat and it'll be a floating stage. And he teaches the people. When he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all day and night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. Okay, stop right there for a second. What was Peter's job? Fisherman. Peter had been on the Sea of Galilee for a long time. He had spent a lot of hours in a boat 
fishing in the Sea of Galilee. He knew the Sea of Galilee like the back of his hand. He knew how to fish. And then a carpenter gets in the boat with him. And the carpenter starts telling him where to fish, when to fish, how to fish. But Peter realizes, okay, this guy's more than a carpenter. And Peter says, because you say so, I'll let down the nets. Verse 6, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. Peter's obedience showed his trust in Jesus. And I love that phrase, because you say so. Let me be very honest with you. When I understand that God is calling me to do something that I think I have a better way, and when God is calling me to do something that, okay, that doesn't make exactly great sense to me, too often my first response isn't, because you say so. Too often my first response is, yeah, but. My first response is, I'm looking for a loophole. Because I'm pretty confident in how I've always done things. And I'm pretty confident in my own ability and my own understanding. Now, my first response too often is, why? And if anybody had an excuse to ask why to Jesus, it would have been Peter in the boat on the Sea of Galilee. Now, Peter's like, I know this sea. I know the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus had to be thinking, yeah, I know it too. I created it. And Peter's probably thinking, I know fishing. I know what works. I know what doesn't work. I know when and where we can catch fish. And Jesus had to be thinking, yeah. And all nature obeys me. And if I want fish to swim into your net, fish are going to swim into your net. Lots of fish. But because you say so, God wants us to trust Him. He wants us to trust Him when it's so obvious that it's the right thing to do. And He wants us to trust Him when we're not exactly sure if it's our best move. Because of our obedience, we are proclaiming God to be trustworthy. And here's the third uh, benefit of obedience. It shows our love for the Lord. Obeying is what he's asked us to do. And it's one way that we show that we love him. We obey. John wrote in 1 John chapter 2. And how can we be sure that we belong to him? By looking within ourselves. Are we really trying to do what he wants us to? Someone may say, I'm a Christian. I'm on my way to heaven. I belong to Christ. But if he doesn't do what Christ tells him to, he's a liar. But those who do what Christ tells them to will learn to love God more and more. I want to learn to love God more and more. I bet you do too. How do I do that? By obeying what God has called me to obey. That word obey, it is such an important word. It always has been. You think all the way back in the Old Testament... King Saul, the, the first king of Israel. Saul had the same problem that pretty often our kids have. 
Saul thought, okay, if I obey part of what you tell me to do, that'll be good enough. And if I obey some of what you're asking me to do, that's surely enough, right? You know, Saul was like the master of partial obedience. More than once, God told Saul to do something, and Saul comes up with his own definition of obedience. 1 Samuel chapter 15, Saul is commanded to go and wipe out the Amalekites, to, to wipe out the people and the animals. And through the power of God, the Israelites have this decisive victory. But Saul leaves the king alive. And he leaves some of the best animals alive. And when the prophet Samuel confronts Saul with this, Saul just blows it off as no big deal. Well, I left the king, but I killed everybody else. And those animals, well, we're going to sacrifice them. That's why I kept the animals around. Here's how 1 Samuel records it. But I did obey the Lord, Saul insisted. I carried out the mission he gave me. I brought back King Agag, but I destroyed everyone else. Then my troops brought in the best of the sheep and cattle and plunder to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. Interesting choice of words, isn't it? To sacrifice to the Lord your God. And Samuel's response is a great insight into the heart of God when it comes to this idea of obeying. Samuel replied, What is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his word? And then Samuel's going to answer his own question. Obedience is far better than sacrifice. Listening to him is much better than offering the fat of rams. You know, Saul did what we do. He rationalized it. He justified his actions. But Samuel makes it clear, partial obedience, that's disobedience. And because of what I just read, you know, we know that, that David is going to end up as the king of Israel. Apparently, obedience was a pretty big deal to the God of Israel. Thirty-some years ago... Um, a guy named Gary Chapman wrote a very popular book. It's still very popular, The Five Love Languages. Most of you, if you haven't read the book, at least you've heard the concept. And his book, The Five Love Languages, deals with the idea that we all receive and express love in different ways. And he narrowed it down to five ways that we receive and express love. Words of affirmation, um, uh, what are they, time, gifts of service, Gifts, human touch. You know, people receive and express love differently. For my wife, it's human touch. Martha's love language is a back rub. That's her love language. For me, mine didn't fit in those five uh, examples. <laughs> mine is ice cream. <laughs> I kid you not. A trip to Cold Stones, I get emotional about that. <laughs> I really do. But we all have our love languages, right? And I got thinking about this. What is God's love language? I think God's love language is my obedience. And I say that only because Jesus said that. 
Uh, John chapter, oh, there we go, John chapter 14. Um, verse 15, it's not on the screen, but Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. And then you skip down to verse 23 that is on the screen. Whoever loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and my Father and I will come to him and live with him. I need to be sure I'm speaking God's love language. I need to be sure that I am obeying my Father. It's Diedrich Bonhoeffer who said, He who believes, obeys. And he who obeys, believes. You know, there's, there's that old song that we do sing quite a bit, Dave. Trust and obey. Trust and obey. Why? Because there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. You want to be happy in Jesus? There's no other way. I'll agree with the song. Just trust and obey. Heard about a, a recently licensed pilot who was flying one day. It was cloudy. It was overcast. And he wasn't real confident in his instrumentation. And as the tower is bringing him back for a landing, he's obviously very edgy and very panicky. And a voice came over his radio. And it was the tower. And he heard the voice say, you just obey my instructions. I'll take care of the obstructions. God is challenging us. You obey my instructions. You let me take care of the obstructions. And I think one of the reasons why sometimes we choose not to obey, and it is a choice, is because we're not sure that we can trust God to be faithful that we can really trust God to do what he's promised over and over again that he'll do. I'll end with Deuteronomy 7, 9. Remember that the Lord your God is the only God and that he is faithful. He will keep his covenant and show his constant love to a thousand generations of those who love him and obey his commands. You want to empower your witness for Jesus? You want to be a better witness for Jesus? You want to have more influence over your friends and your family and your neighbor for Jesus? Do what he says. Obey. You want to demonstrate that you trust God? Do what he says. Obey. Do you want to show that you love God? Do what he says. Obey. You want to be happy in Jesus? There's no other way than to trust and obey. Let's pray. Father, you have proved in so many ways that you love us and that you do want the very best for us. We thank you for the ways that you bless us, the ways that you love us, the ways that you challenge us, the ways that you forgive us. Lord, may we show our love for you by the way that we obey you, even when it's difficult, even when we're convinced that we have a better way, even when we might not want to. Help us to trust you to keep your covenant, to show your constant love to a thousand generations, to those who love you and who obey you. And it's in your son's name that I pray. Amen.